Bible prophecy keeps marching to the beat of a very fast drummer. Every time I report on the flurry of activity about building a third temple in Israel, I hear from Christians who are concerned about the reinstitution of sacrifices in a new Jewish temple. Their argument is that Jesus is the final sacrifice for sins, and the world doesn't need to restore the shedding of animal blood. But these objectors aren't connecting the dots. They simply don't realize that the revival of a third temple is a harbinger of the second coming of Jesus. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. The fact that Jewish activists are planning their third temple should send a loud wake-up call to the church that the second coming of Jesus is near. But unfortunately, clergymen and churchgoers are, for the most part, biblically illiterate when it comes to prophecy. Scripture from Daniel to Revelation is plain that the anti-Messiah will set up an abomination in the third temple, demanding worship. But Jesus, the true Messiah, will return and destroy the Antichrist and the false prophet. The world will experience what the book of Revelation strangely calls the wrath of the Lamb. According to Revelation chapter 6, in the future, the kings of the earth, the chief captains, and the mighty men will cry out to be hidden from the wrath of the Lamb of God. Before that happens, it's my heart's desire that as many persons as possible can be saved because 2 Peter 3.9 declares, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Nevertheless, scriptures teach that the day of salvation is a window of opportunity during the church age that will not last indefinitely. And end-time signs are proliferating. Lately, I've received a lot of inquiries concerning a rabbi known as the Yonika, Rav Shlomo Yehuda. The Yonika is a title meaning a boy wonder, proficient in the entire Torah. Quite possibly, he's a savant. In statements such as this one, rabbis are proclaiming the Yonika to be a genius and a miracle worker, and they seek his blessing claiming that such a gifted soul only descends once in a generation. But miracle workers among Orthodox Jews are not unknown. In fact, there have been plenty of wonder workers in Judaism's Hasidic movement. Amazing things are being said about the Yonika, the same kinds of things that were said about Jesus when he sat amongst the teachers in the temple. According to Luke 2.47, Everyone who heard the young Jesus was amazed at his understanding and his answers. While the Yannicka has his own YouTube site featuring worship songs at his keyboard and videos of his crowded Torah studies where he answers difficult questions. Sensational rumors abound on the internet describing this young man as a false messiah, 
Bible prophecy is clear that false messiahs and false prophets will be chief characteristics of the end times. But apparently more followers of Bible prophecy than Jews actually seek to label this young man as a false messiah. Well, religious Jews certainly keep the end time scenario stirred. This recent dramatic photo by the Temple Institute's Facebook page shows would-be temple priests blowing silver trumpets on a narrow descent to Jerusalem's city of David. They were reenacting the biblical water libation ceremony that occurred during the Feast of Tabernacles. The rehearsal was led by the founder of the Temple Institute, Rabbi Yisrael Ariel, and the ceremony was performed by men trained at the Institute for Kahanic Studies. End-time Bible prophecy like this is being paraded in public in the reconstituted state of Israel. The water libation ceremony took place in the city of David at the Siloam Pool. This spring was used in ancient times to anoint the high priest, kings of Israel, and the water was mixed with ashes of the red heifer for purification purposes. In Bible times, the procession led back up to the temple itself. The water libation invokes God's blessing for refreshing rainwater, the symbol of national mercies and spiritual blessings. And of course, water is an emblem of the Holy Spirit. As mentioned in John chapter 7, where on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. He who believes in me, Jesus said, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from his innermost being. Another recent event of prophetic significance was the gathering called the Hachel, literally meaning assemble. According to a biblical commandment, the people of God were expected to assemble for the reading of the Torah once every seven years. The commandment is recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 31, where it says at the end of every seven years at an appointed time in the Feast of Tabernacles, after the year of release, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place he shall choose, you shall read this Torah before all Israel in their ears. Assemble the people, the men, the women, and the children, and the stranger who lives in your city, in order that they hear and that they learn to fear the Lord your God. In temple times, when the people assembled, the king stood on a platform and read the books of the law aloud, as illustrated by the Temple Institute's Facebook page. This biblical ceremony was revived in modern times by the state of Israel's first chief rabbi, Yitzhak Isaac Halevi Herzog, and it's held every seven years following the conclusion of the sabbatical year called the Shemitah. Today, the president of Israel stands in for the king, and Israel's current president, Yitzhak Herzog, happens to be the grandson of the chief rabbi who reinstituted the biblical assembly. This year, it was attended by tens of thousands of Israelis at the Western Wall Plaza. 
Israel's chief rabbis and former chief rabbis took turns reading from the books of Moses. Benjamin Netanyahu, on the verge of becoming prime minister once again, was given the honor of participating. And many religious Jews regard Netanyahu as sort of a king or a temporary Messiah figure. The Jewish people also read annually through the five books of Moses in the form of weekly increments. Each Torah portion is named after the first Hebrew words of each section. For example, the portion named Lech Lecha, meaning go forth, is Genesis chapter 12 to 17 and verse 27. And it's one of my favorite Torah portions because I love the sentiment of being called by God to Lech Lecha, go forth. It's certainly in the spiritual DNA of any evangelist. As the Temple Institute pointed out with this beautiful artwork, God chose Abraham to go forth and to step onto history's center stage. The answer to why God chose Abraham is found in Genesis 18:19, where God says, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment so that the promises the Lord made to Abraham can be fulfilled. You see, the Almighty takes note of how spiritual training is conducted. It was highly important to God that the man he chose should deal correctly with posterity. So concerning Abraham, God said, I know him. I know how he will instruct his household. God cannot entrust great things to everybody but he discerned Abraham could be trusted for Abraham would lead his family, not in the dictatorial tones of a tyrant, but by the power of a consistent life. So say Bible commentaries. Unfortunately, many children of imperious parents become rebels. Parents should be firm, but loving in training and set an impeccable example in integrity. They should not delegate the work of training their children to others. Sunday school teaching should supplement, not supplant, home training. So we thank God for the trustworthy example of Abraham as a patriarch. He also gives us the obedient example of going forth when the Almighty calls. Every person who has genuinely heard the call of God can identify with the command, leave your land and your birthplace and your father's house, and go to the land I will show you. In my own case, the call was also to go to the promised land, and I'm eternally grateful to the Lord. In contrast to Abraham's household, which had a reverential fear of God, the dissipation of family life in our generation is tragic. God's patience will not last forever. As an old Latin proverb goes, patience trespassed upon too often, is converted into wrath. God has been more than patient with our generation. But the number of Americans who say there's no absolute truth has become alarmingly high. A new poll from summit.org reveals that 55% of Americans between the ages of 18 to 29 believe that each person can determine their own version of truth. The denial of biblical truth, the rejection of 
biblical authority has grave consequences for community morality, for law and order, and of course, for mental health. If there ever was a time to stand for truth, it's now. Historically, Presbyterianism was one of the richest theological traditions in the Protestant Reform movement. Its Westminster Shorter Catechism was considered a bedrock of Reform orthodoxy for centuries and one of the most profound statements of Christian teaching ever compiled. However, now the Presbyterian Church in the USA has apostatized and abandoned its Orthodox heritage by denying the inspiration of Holy Scripture. The present moral slide includes a growing acceptance of polygamy. In 2003, the late American Supreme Court Justice Antolin Scalia warned of a day when state laws against bigamy, same-sex marriage, adult incest, prostitution, adultery, fornication, bestiality, and obscenity would all fall based on moral choices. At the time, many people thought Scalia was exaggerating, but not anymore. According to a 2022 Gallup poll, 23% of the American public believes polygamy is morally acceptable. Proponents of incest, pedophilia, and group marriage are following the anything goes playbook since they claim love and consent are all that defines a relationship. They argue if we recognize the legitimacy of multiple partners, how can we deny them the legal protections afforded by traditional marriage? We have also continued to watch the moral slide concerning the sanctity of life. Belgium has one of the most liberal euthanasia laws in the world. This year, a young woman who actually survived a terrorist attack was euthanized in Belgium. Shanti de Court was 17 years old and was waiting to board an airplane for a school trip when an explosion rocked Brussels Airport in 2016. 32 persons were killed in the airport and in a corresponding attack in a metro station. Both attacks were claimed by ISIS terrorists. Although Shanti did not sustain any physical injuries, the trauma was too emotionally difficult for her. And a pro-euthanasia activist group helped her to find two psychiatrists willing to sign her request to die. And at age 23, she was euthanized in May of 2022. Her parents reportedly supported the suicide, but controversy still surrounds the decision. A neurologist argued that physicians had failed to explore all treatment options. According to the New Yorker magazine, the ever-expanding list of ailments for which physicians in Belgium will allow euthanasia include autism, anorexia, chronic fatigue syndrome, blindness coupled with deafness, manic depression, and just being tired of life. With such broad definitions, it's no surprise that more than 27,000 individuals have died from euthanasia in Belgium. Another futuristic development is that governments and financial institutions are increasingly warming to the idea of introducing central bank digital currencies. 
examples of transaction data will be how many coffees a person drinks every day or where you buy your coffee. Do you use Uber? And what kind of working hours you keep and so on and so forth. Credit scores will mean limited privacy. Like China, your digital wallet can be shut down if you protest or speak negatively about certain topics. And according to the World Economic Forum, by 2030, credit scoring will evolve into life scoring, meaning identity and reputation will be digitized and analyzed in minute details, shaping a future where a personal trust score will be the norm. Every transaction will be tracked and surveilled, including attitudes toward climate change. After all, globalists are making a religion out of climate change by going to Mount Sinai and concocting their own green decalogue, the so-called Ten Commandments of Climate Justice. Christian, Jewish, Muslim, and other religious figures participated in the UN's 27th Convention on Climate Change, using the traditional Mount Sinai as the backdrop for their agenda. Some 40,000 attendees included over 100 world leaders and businessmen. They're certainly not anticipating the second coming of Jesus to fix this planet. Instead, they had their own ideas of utopia. And by the way, in Hebrew thought, the expression tikkun olam means the repair of the world. And many hope to try to fix this planet through the Green New Deal or social justice. But the best way to engage in tikkun olam is to spread gospel light. We dare not dream of utopia on earth apart from the return of the King of Kings. Environmentalists and globalists want to paint a rosy picture of transhumanism involving into Homo sapiens 2.0. In fact, transhumanism is the ultimate deception. It's the old fountain of youth lie, claiming that somehow mankind can bypass the Savior and achieve eternal life through artificial intelligence and our own devices. President Trump's son-in-law, Gerald Kushner, received online ridicule for suggesting he could live forever, thanks to exercise and advances in science. Kushner said he's trying to keep fit because he might one day become immortal as part of the last generation that will die due to advances in science, he said. An aide claimed Kushner was just speaking tongue-in-cheek but other elites are dead serious about living forever. Ray Kurzweil is the guru who came up with the concept of the singularity. That's the moment when artificial intelligence and the robots take over. Kurzweil is convinced that superintelligence machines will enable scientists to crack the secret of extending human life. He assures anyone under 40 that if they can somehow survive the next three decades, eternal life beckons in the guise of some fusion of humans and robots. Well, a columnist responded to this notion by quipping, if I can make it to 65, I might be able to carry on and become as old as Methuselah. 
But to achieve this, I'll need to spend the next 30 years doing Pilates and miserable juice cleansers to stay alive. Well, in all seriousness, it's the ultimate deception to believe that mankind can escape death. The only generation that will escape death are those destined for the rapture. When Jesus appears in the clouds to evacuate his bride from earth before the time of wrath. When the rapture happens, the apostle Paul taught that mortals will be instantaneously immortal without ever dying. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But the rapture is a foreign concept to the globalists. Instead, they embody Psalm 2, which asks, Why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Against whom? Against the Lord and against his anointed. It literally says against his Messiah. They'll say, and this sounds like the globalists, let's break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. However, Psalm 2 says God sits in the heavens and laughs. The Lord will have them in derision and he shall speak to them in his wrath. The wrath of God is mentioned in Revelation 6 with this strange phrase, which I mentioned at the beginning of the program, the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus is pictured as the Lamb of God opening seven sequential seals on a scroll during the future tribulation period. And with the breaking of each seal, horrific blood-curdling judgments are unleashed on earth. The rulers of the world will attribute these catastrophes to God's judgment, not to Mother Nature and not to climate change. Through Bible prophecy, God has already revealed the future and he unveils it for us so that we might be prepared and delivered out of the horrific period of unprecedented woes called the Great Tribulation in the Bible. Listen to Revelation chapter 6 and uh, verses 15 to 16. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals hid themselves in the caves calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb? Who ever heard of an enraged Lamb? The wrath of the Lion of Judah is understandable, but here's a biblical picture of the wrath of the Lamb. A lamb is, of course, essentially innocent, meek, tender, and yielding. But the Lamb of God being provoked to wrath implies unprecedented provocation, the unfolding of rebellion to the point of abominable degradation. The word for wrath here is orge, defined as a swelling, strong outburst of indignation at wrongdoing with a focus on retribution. It's interesting that many make the mistake of defining God as a stern and wrathful God in the Hebrew Bible. And Jesus is seen as only meek and mild. But in the New Testament, Jesus also has a wrathful side. It's true that at his first coming, he forgave his tormentors at the cross when he became the savior of the world. But Jesus is the epitome of wrath in the book of Revelation when he returns as judge. 
and thus the world will see the wrath of the Lamb in full force. However, for the believer, there's safety in the day of wrath. Revelation 6:17 asks, who can stand in the presence of such holy wrath? And the answer is, all those who are in Messiah Jesus, those who are ensconced in the ark of his safety. The ones who will be able to stand will be those who have decidedly made Jesus their Redeemer and Lord, and those who are entirely dependent upon him for his imputed righteousness. The saved know that we are undeserving. The Gospels testify that while we were yet sinners, Jesus, the Messiah, died for us. Therefore, those who believe in Jesus, and Yeshua is his Hebrew name, we don't have to worry about trying to achieve immortality or singularity through science. The Bible says we have already passed from death to eternal life when we put our faith in him. In fact, we're guaranteed the free gift of eternal life. Because what does the most famous Bible verse teach? John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. That's everlasting life. Hallelujah. The Lord saved us from the wrath to come by interposing his own body on the cross in our stead. And because of the merits of the Savior, we should be able to stand in the day of Messiah. We know these are perilous times and we want to be in faith when the Lord returns because he asked poignantly in Luke 18, 8, when he returns, will he find faith in the earth? Let's keep faith with the Lord. Let's have faith to bring up children and grandchildren in these troublesome times. Recently, I read a post on social media that I thought was well-written, and I'd like to share the same sentiments with you now. The world we're living in is not the place it used to be, but let's not be fearful to have children, and let's not dread the futures of our children and grandchildren. Do you not know that God created them and called them for this exact moment in time that they're living in right now? The lives of our children and grandchildren aren't just a coincidence or an accident. Be assured of this. Because of God's sovereignty, every person in history has been placed in the time destined for them. Rather than being fearful, let's raise our children to know the power of God. Let's train them to know the authority of His Word and to believe wholeheartedly that God is in control. Let's teach our children and grandchildren to walk in faith, to pray for the sick. Let's empower them to know that they can be world changers. Don't teach them to be fearful and disheartened by the state of the world, but instead to be hopeful that they can be lights in a darkened world. Now, if you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to share your thoughts with me on social media. I also invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv where you can click online to receive our weekly email and where you can watch all of our videos 24-7. Don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app to view our video library, and please subscribe to our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith 
and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. May the grace of our Lord Jesus the Messiah and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Shalom. I'm Christine Darn. Maranatha. <laughs>